morning, everybody. Welcome to Tyler United Methodist Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. It's good to have great weather outside. And good to share our Christian fellowship today. I'm Bob Leach, the uh, chairman of the Administrative Council, lay leader, and I'd like to uh, welcome everybody to Tyler Church this morning. Our pastor, Gary Hogue, is enjoying a vacation, and so one of the things of our uh, covenant with him is that when it comes time for his vacation, uh, we will fill in for him. So I have that honor today. Uh, so I do have a couple of announcements I'd like to uh, begin with. Um, one is, of course, on Wednesday night, uh, Connie's running uh, practice, both with the uh, bell choir and vocals, and we invite and encourage anybody who may be interested to come and join us. And the fact that I'm in both proves you don't really have to have talent. She'll, she'll take it from there. She gets the uh, person that's ready to ring a bell or make a joyful news, joyful noise, and she'll do the rest. Uh, another announcement I'd like to make at this time, we had our administrative council meeting uh, last Monday to prepare for our charge conference. We will be having our uh, church conference, our church charge conference, and we're going to do it in conjunction with a Sunday morning worship service. Uh, basically, we'll have the packet that we need to turn into our district uh, filled out, and it's something that the members of the congregation actually need to vote on. And we decided rather than ask everybody to come in yet one more time on a Wednesday night or something, that we would do it as part of the church service. Our plan is to be able to give you a read-ahead packet for anybody who wants one, uh, and this has the budget and things like that, um, have those available to you next week, and it'll be the week after that that we conduct this vote on things like our salary and uh, our plans for the coming year and uh, those items. And then the district uh, charge conference is later on the 14th of October. And that's going to be at Trinity United Methodist Church. It's for three of the counties in the district. And that's something that everybody is invited to on a Thursday night. Another thing that was decided at the administrative council meeting is we're going to bring back the offering as part of Sunday morning worship. Uh, for a while, we were saying, you know, with COVID, the last thing we want to do is pass plates. And so we said, well, you know, boxes by the door would be sufficient enough. But there is a real Christian value in uh, tithing and uh, actually presenting an offering uh, as part of a worship service. So we plan on uh, bringing that back in the next couple of weeks. And the way we'll work it, we won't pass the plates, but we'll have a couple of the people in the church that will go uh, from row to row and uh, give people the opportunity to uh, actually put an offering in a plate. And we'll let you know when we're going to do that. So somebody doesn't say, well, I put my uh, money in the uh, box by the door, and now I'm embarrassed that I don't have anything to uh, put in the plate. Uh, the last thing, you know, this is definitely not an intent about causing somebody to feel embarrassed about you know, not putting an uh, offering in a plate. Some people are continuing to either give the money in the online method or just uh, giving uh, tithing checks to our uh, secretary and for the treasurer. Um, so those are the announcements that I had. Um, 
Connie, I'd like to give you the opportunity to talk about what some of the members of the Bell Choir are going to be doing on Saturday, because I'm excited about that. Maybe somebody will decide they uh, are missing out on something. Well, uh, I had the honor of you as a church uh, supporting me in joining the Handbell Musicians of America. And so since I am now a member, I can attend all clinics and uh, especially the regionals and the national clinics and also the plays that they have where you go and you learn the music and you play as a humongous group, sometimes 500 to 1,000 bell ringers, and uh, then they give a concert. So um, it was brought to my attention that there is going to be a clinic this Saturday in Worthington, Ohio at the Methodist Church there. And so Bob, myself, Chrissy, and then Jane Speakman, we are going to attend. And we are, we've got our music, and Chrissy was telling me this morning, it's not easy. <laughs> so, uh, of course, you know, we have videos that we can look at, and then, of course, we're going to have a bell practice tomorrow. And uh, anyhow, we will do our best to participate. We don't know how large this clinic will be. But those are the kind of things that are open to us to improve our playability and also learn new music and just meet some wonderful bell ringers. So if at any time you might be interested in just seeing what goes on, let me know. Even if, if you're not playing with us, you might want to go to a clinic sometime just to see what you do and so forth. You know. We we're going to look at it as a real fun we're social day. We're to have fun. And Connie's driving in the convertible, right? So that's what they said. I don't know. I'm going to fit comfortably in the convertible. Right. Whatever. Okay. Uh, so those are the announcements I had. Does anybody else have an announcement they'd like to uh, share with the congregation at this point? Yes, sir. Uh, I just wanted to thank everybody for the prayer and card. I got that for a surgery that uh, was canceled by my insurance in COBA. So I'll know next month uh, if it's going to happen or not, but uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that I did appreciate what they've done for me. Okay, and we will continue those prayers and cards. Anyone else? Okay, our call to worship this morning. Since I was in charge, I got to pick things that I consider favorites. It's uh, glory be to the Father. A lot of you will remember that from years ago at Tyler Church. It was something we sang every week. Uh, if you go to page 70 in the hymnals that are in front of you, you can uh, get to the words. And we'll uh, have Oregon accompaniment on this. But like I said, I think a lot of you will recognize it as soon as you hear the melody.
page 130. And Janet Blake shared with me that this was one of her favorites, so glad to uh, be uh, singing that. We'll sing it for loud for you, Janet.
one of the things I love about playing and uh, having you listen and tolerate is this is the same fiddle I played here when I was a kid, uh, seventh, eighth grade. And uh, during the summer, we had special music, and Lloyd Savage would, or Don Fetro, whoever was directing our choir at the time, would uh, make the 10 Sundays, and I'd get picked for one of them, and I'd come in and play something. And the uh, so same fiddle, same church, and some of the same people. It's uh, always a blessing to be able to play this, so thank you. And this is where we say, same Bob, he has a gauge to him. <laughs> uh, but then I had, a little bit later, I had my hair almost down to my shoulders, and uh, I'm kind of embarrassed about that. I wish they hadn't taken pictures. The worst part about it was when my hair was long, it did a nice little flip right here at the bottom, and girls would work for hours to try to get that little, and I just had it naturally. Um, my father, who was losing his hair, hated my long hair. We fought about it all the time. Most fathers who had kids in the 1970s went through the same thing. Um, now I have less hair than he did. I just pictured him up on his cloud, giving the last laugh. So, uh, anyway, it was a uh, it was a honor to uh, have done that. And uh, so now we'll move on to our uh, time of prayer. And so we'll start out, I always like uh, starting with uh, joys, like uh, Pastor Gary does, and uh, I've expressed a joy with you. Does anybody else have uh, joy that you would like to uh, bring up and bring to the Lord as part of our prayer this morning? Okay. Math, okay. All right. Okay, Jane. Thank you. I th I'll just step in and say thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Connie and Bob, and for continuing to believe in Tyler Church and for the joy of memories. I'm way too old oh, and no. way too many memories that are wonderful. Thank you. Okay, Connie. I just want to say I am overjoyed. My daughter has finally been hired. At Adina. She is now a floating nurse. So uh, that is quite a step up for her. She's been working at nursing homes, and I told you many times she runs squad on top of it. But now she has really moved on into the point where they ask her where she wanted to work in the hospital. So she got to pick, and I, I thought that was, you know, a good for her esteem. But then also, they were kind enough to tell her that they will help her finish her RN degree. Wow. Awesome. She only has two semesters, and she will be an RN, and she just hasn't made it happen. So at the same time that happened, then her fiancé, who was let go at Kenworth, got immediately, three days later, he got hired at DuPont. So now he has a full-time job again, so that was a blessing. And the little trip, the family trip, that you know, you're sitting on pins and needles. Did your daughter put it together? Is this going to work? You know, this kind of stuff. It was a blast. <laughs> and so, even though I got knocked down by the waves many, many times, and they had to find me in the foam, you know, <laughs> but uh, it was it was fun. It was lots of fun. And the first thing my daughter said as we packed up and loaded the car, she said. And we are doing this again, aren't we? Okay. Where so, was? Praise the Lord. Where did you go? Pardon? Where? We went to Virginia Beach. That's where I was. Ah. 
the week before that. Oh okay. my gosh, we yeah. Each other. Oh, it's a, we should have run into each other. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a great time. Well, I make this a joy. I was going to save it for a concern, but this morning uh, my wife is on her way to Michigan. Debbie's on the road and she's going to pick up her daughter, my stepdaughter Caroline. Uh, a lot of you remember we prayed for Caroline when she was in the military. She's out of the military now. Uh, but working for the State Department, so she's had to do a lot of things with the Afghanistan operation in the last few weeks, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, Carolyn was able to visit friends in Michigan over the weekend, even though she's very busy with her job. And so she had her mom come and pick her up, and she's going to bring her back to Ohio, and then Caroline will head back to Washington, D.C. from here later on. So it's a joy that mom and daughter are going to be able to be together. They, they talk so much on the phone, I know they miss each other and they'll be happy to uh, spend time with each other. So now we'll move on. Uh, prayer concerns. Uh, Don, we're going to already uh, keep you and, and your uh, the surgery that was put off. We'll uh, continue to keep that as one of our concerns. Uh, any other concerns that uh, Anybody would like to lift up to the Lord? Cindy. Say again. Cindy. Okay. All right. And I will, uh, I will get to you in a moment, Chrissy. Uh, so the family of Bonnie Heaton will keep her uh, in our uh, prayer concerns. Uh, they have uh, let it be known, and some of you saw us in the obituary. They are. Uh, after cremation, they're planning to do a celebration of life at a later time. And when we find out when that is, we'll let everybody know. And then uh, some of you are aware that uh, our friend Bob Stewart uh, passed away. And so we want to keep his family uh, in our prayers as well. Okay, Chrissy? That was mine, Bob Stewart. Okay, all right. Uh, didn't, didn't mean to steal thunder there, but uh, you know, it's uh, good multiple people are remembering the uh, same I'm um, the school of St. James from kindergarten through. Ah, okay. Uh, all right. Any others? Okay. And I'm going to say I always enjoy it when uh, Pastor Gary asks uh, anybody uh, have friends or family that they hope uh, will uh, be uh, made right with the Lord uh, that they want to pray for. Uh, raise your hand. We will uh, keep those uh, individuals in our prayer. And it also uh, always asks if uh, any of us have spiritual opportunities in front of us that they think, you know, God, if you can be with me, I can uh, maybe make a, a difference and an impact. Okay? All right. And any other spiritual opportunities that anybody would like to share at this point? Okay. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, start this prayer then, and then at the end of that, we'll have a uh, prayer chorus that we'll stand for. Okay. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for being our Lord and Savior. And today, we come to you with several uh, joys and concerns. First of all, the uh, joy of daughter Chris uh, getting her uh, employment at Adina and we are thankful for that. Second, thank uh, uh, Jane for 
Father, we bring to you some concerns this morning. Uh, first, for Cindy Emil. Then, of course, for the family of Bonnie Eaton. And then for the family of Bob Stewart. We praise the Lord in the heavens. and praise you in all the heights. We praise you, all your angels. We praise you, all of your hosts. We praise the Lord, sun and moon. We praise the Lord, all shining stars. We praise the Lord in the highest heavens and all waters above heaven. Heavenly Father, as we come together today, we are thankful that we reside in the United States, a country that considers religious freedom as one of the tenets of our existence. We'll discuss those things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all who take pleasure in the faithful and for all of those who hope in the Lord's steadfast love. Strengthen the bars of your gates and bless the children in your midst. We ask that you make peace in your borders and fill us with finest love. Heavenly Father, you did not deal thus with any other nation, the nations that do not know your ordinances. For all these things, we praise the Lord. that 
It seems people of different political parties are viewing this in a different light. Some are saying, oh, it was a great thing, and some are saying, oh, it, it was terrible. We should be so proud as citizens of the United States for what was done. And I want to take the time to look at what was done through the lens of a Christian. Um, we can be so very proud of our military, especially the United States Air Force that uh, made this happen. But in a greater sense, we should be so very proud of ourselves because the military cannot do that without the tax base and the taxes that all the citizens of the country pay and contribute to. Okay, so in a way, it was all of us that made this possible, not just the military. And I think you'll see today, it clearly was the Christian thing to do. Now, you know I'm a retiree from the United States military, uh, but everything I'm going to uh, be sharing with you today, it's all from open news sources. I not, do not have access to any kind of classified information or anything like that to put this together. But I want to look again at the, uh, the scripture that we just looked at that had Psalm 46 1, because you notice there was another scripture underneath it. And a lot of you are very familiar with this scripture in many contexts. From Matthew, verse 25. And this was something that Jesus said. And it goes through a lot of uh, things, but the main point was whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so I want to uh, remember that as we go through this. And then even yet another scripture. I only put the one in the bulletin, but we want to go to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Uh, we'll start with verse 25. Okay. And so it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? And, you know, these people were always trying to trip up Jesus. They want to catch him. And so here is the answer that came back. Because Jesus, of course, answered with the question, you know, what's written in the law? So we go on to 37, 27, and it says, He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, the person that was trying to trip him up. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, we'll go on to the next slide, and you'll understand this. So in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, remember the Samaritans were the outsiders, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Okay, so we'll go on to the next slide. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So, as Christians, it's fairly obvious we should be able to see the connection between the story of the Good Samaritan and the biblical parable the biblical parable of the Good Samaritan and what we did as the uh, country, the United States, to evacuate individuals from Afghanistan. Okay, so let's uh, go on and we'll talk about this. This Operation Allied Refuge was the largest non-combatant evacuation operation airlift in United States history. We'll see a little bit later, it dwarfs the Berlin airlift. Over 17 days, from August 14th to August 30th, and a lot of us witnessed this in real time on, uh, on the media, nearly 800 civilian and military aircraft from over 30 nations safely evacuated more than 124,000 people from Hamid Karzai International Airport. Right? see the slide. Now here it says the airlift spanned nine countries. Uh, and what I mean by that is we had planes flying from Afghanistan to different countries and landing. So they were landing in countries around the, uh, the Arabian Gulf. They were landing in Europe and places like that. Eight different time zones and more than 10 temporary safe havens. There were a number of coalition nations that supported the airlift of evacuees, including more than 30 that provided aircraft to evacuate personnel from Afghanistan, and nine that hosted uh, evacuees that came in. And you can see the uh, slide there. So that's an uh, airliner from the Emir of Kuwait uh, that was involved. And there are many other uh, pictures that show planes from uh, Germany, planes from the United Kingdom, uh, planes from uh, places in uh, Africa. Also, you had uh, uh, Pakistan, which is right next door, sent aircraft in. Okay, so let's look at the next slide. So our Air Force planned and directed 2,627 flights during the time period. And the date goes longer than the final date we were in Afghanistan because, of course, there were some cases where we just had the people right outside in, in another country, in an intermediate area. So it took until the 9th of September, and there's still some relocation efforts going on. Uh, there were almost 2,000 United States Air Force transports, and you can see the relative size of three of them, the C-5 Galaxy, the C-17 Globemaster, and the C-130 Hercules. And I remember the Hercules, it was a huge aircraft, but it sure looks small in this slide with comparison. And um, you also had 700 commercial aircraft. 
okay? Additionally, you have to have 360 air refueling flights to be conducted during that time. So let's go on to the next slide. And it's quite an operation when you refuel a plane that's flying in the air. And most of this was done when these large cargo planes would leave Afghanistan headed to uh, bases that are around the Arabian Gulf. Okay, so they didn't have to land and refuel so many times, they could do that in the air. Also, during all this time, we had fighters and other planes that were doing overwatch that could be refueled. And that meant they could stay on station, is the term, they could stay there longer if they could be refueled in the air. Uh, additionally, this is a total force operation. You know, not only did we have all the branches of the service involved, but it wasn't just the active components that carried it out. You also had the Reserve and National Guard involved in this, which is important. Our country has done it before where they gave the preponderance of the mission to the active components, and without the Guard and Reserve involved, you don't really have the reach to all communities throughout the uh, country. Okay, now I wanna go on, and these are gonna be small words here, but the uh, point of this slide, even if you can't read everything, you had a lot of aeromedical evacuation requirements in here. Some of you probably heard there were planes that landed with one more person than they took off with because a mother had given birth to a child in the air. And our Air Force had the foresight to have medical people on the aircraft. They could help even with the delivery of a child. And... Uh, I, I keep thinking of that when I hear some of the naysayers say, oh, this operation wasn't very well planned. Okay, oh, hey, come on. Uh, this is a perfect example. Also, we know, and I'll give you a little bit more details on it in a moment, we had a situation with a suicide bombing in the area where there were multiple uh, very seriously injured patients, and they were medevaced to... Uh, some of the finest hospitals in Europe uh, very soon after the bombing occurred. Okay? Alright, so let's go on to our next slide I want to tell you about. So, 778 flights, and that's with United States military and three, uh, 391 either civilian airliners or airliners from other countries evacuated in 17 days over 124,000 people. So, you do the math, that means 7,500 people each day are being evacuated. And um, they say the high point was August 23rd, more than 21,000 people left Afghanistan that day, and flights were departing every 34 minutes. Okay, and just to take one of the types of airplanes, the C-17, they were flying uh, in and out of Afghanistan 330 times, and they evacuated almost 80,000 people of the total, including 6,000 Americans. Okay, so let's uh, now move on to our slide that says, along with the passengers moved, the military aircraft also moved over almost 3,000 tons of cargo. And that included 2,000 uh, tons that was taken in to 
Afghanistan. That's food, water, and equipment that were needed. <coughs> and the Air Force ran the operations there from their arrival on the first flights that carried the 82nd Airborne Division, which the unit I had served with, uh, while they, the Airborne soldiers were defending the airfield, the Air Force was getting right to work on doing all of this. Okay, so we'll go to the next slide here. And this top line says, Airmen service, unloaded, repaired, and loaded 721 of the 778 aircraft that flew in and out of Afghanistan. Okay, they were serving an average of four aircraft simultaneously, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I talked to Jim Hartley. He said he was a mechanic when he was in the Air Force, but they didn't let him too near the planes, if I got the story right. But um, the, uh, the, the mechanics in the Air Force did an enviable job, and once again, that shows me the detail and the planning that went into this to have the parts, the people that were needed to make repairs uh, on a no-notice basis uh, in the airport there in Kabul, Afghanistan. And when they arrived, they said the airfield, the airport was non-functioning, and so they rapidly got it into condition where it could handle an operation of this scope and magnitude. Okay, so our next slide, we talk about the en route capabilities. You know, these intermediate staging bases were so important to the whole operation. Okay, you had to take these people somewhere and you had to have somebody ready for them when they arrived. Okay, and this is, I, I like this phrase right from the slide, when time mattered the most, Fleet airmen, ramp and terminal operations, maintainers and command post controllers created space and time servicing hundreds of aircraft. And they processed and cared for tens of thousands of travelers daily. Okay, and you can see uh, how happy the uh, lady was to be carrying her kids off the um, plane. All right, now we'll go to this one. So they are managing their aircraft and holding while also sorting a complicated parking situation on the ground. Okay, so they had to double the amount of parking spaces for aircraft in the participating airports. Okay, now it says it's talking about Al Udeen uh, Airfield, that is in Qatar, and Ali Al Salam uh, in Kuwait, and Ramstein Air Base, which is in Germany. Three of the four busiest military airfields, and what they did was the equivalent of increasing passenger and aircraft flow at our nation's three busiest airports by 200 to 600%. <clears throat> okay, and think of those of you who did traveling before COVID you know, put such a, a debt in the amount of air travel that's being done in the United States. Imagine some of the busiest airports you've been in, uh, Atlanta, LAX, Los Angeles, or Chicago, or New York, being up to 600% busier than it was when you went through. And that's what our Air Force did. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. Uh, commercial sorties. Uh, a lot of people don't know or have forgotten about what we call the Civil Reserve Air Fleet. You know, all of our airlines, uh, American Airlines and uh, uh, Southwest and places like that, 
Part of their charter, part of their contract is in the event that the military needs their aircraft, they will provide those aircraft. And that is called the Civil Reserve Air Fleet. And then there were some people that just volunteered. Uh, there are some people that aren't the major airliners that have uh, owned large airlines that volunteered to be part of this as well. And you see, they did over 400 flights. And you've got, uh, since August 21st and going through September 13th, <coughs> 200 commercial international passenger flights relocating evacuees to the United States have been flown. Okay, now I do want to go over the timeline of some significant events because these were the ones that captured your attention when they were in the media. So let's go to the next slide. And on August 13th was really when we first heard, we, we knew things in Afghanistan were coming to an end and the people were going to be pulled out. But that's when the Department of Defense announced the start of their evacuation airlift. And they already knew that it needed 5,000 troops to go in to provide security and to um, administer this airlift, as well as the people who would be coming out. Within three hours of that announcement, the first aircraft were on the way. Uh, and this is not flights that they had already planned. They are on the way to carry this out. The very next day, on August 14th, next slide, you've got the initial flights that are departing Charleston en route to Afghanistan with a thousand people and equipment from the 82nd Airborne Division, which will be providing security, and nearly a hundred airmen from the 621st Contingency Response Wing to prepare the airfield for operations, okay? And that same day, you had, and this slide, if you can't make it out, maybe you saw it in the media, is one of our large cargo planes packed with 823 Afghan evacuees. Okay, that was a record number. And it was among the first aircraft that departed uh, that HKIA is Hamid Karzai International Airport. That's the airport in Kabul where this was happening from. Okay, let's go on to the next thing. We'll start with the 14th of August and a 48 hour span, so up to the 16th of August, you had these aircraft, the C-17s, on the, on the ramp and cutter increasing from six to 46. Okay, so well, they had six there before. You can see how quickly the Air Force got to the staging bases where they needed to be. Okay, and August 15th, Kabul fell to the Taliban. You know, people were surprised at how quickly uh, the Taliban took over Afghanistan. So now you've got the city that this airfield is in is under control of the enemy. And also that day, even though we had people to secure the perimeter, you had Afghan civilians that started to breach the airfield perimeter. Okay, now the reason for that is it is nowhere in our military's doctrine or in the rules of engagement to fire at unarmed civilians. Okay, and so when they started coming through the fence, even though we had armed soldiers there, that was not their solution to that problem. And it led to something even worse. Uh, it led to something terrible that you probably saw the sound bites for the uh, media releasing for. So let's go to the next slide. 
and I'll explain what happened there. Okay, that was on the 16th of August when this C-17, huge cargo plane, landed at the airport to deliver a load of equipment and it had U.S. forces aboard as well. Before they could even unload the cargo, the plane is swarmed by Afghan civilians that saw this as their way to get out. Okay, problem there, that aircraft, the pilot and the crew, their first responsibility, their first mission is to protect their aircraft. And so they had to start worrying about that. So the pilot made the decision, of course he was on the radio with his commanders, but to not unload the cargo and to taxi to the runway and take off. Well, unfortunately, these Afghan civilians were so desperate at that point, and this, you know, to me this shows the reason that we had to do what we did. They climbed onto the wings and into the wheel wells of this plane as it was taking off, and of course none of the people who did that survived as the uh, plane uh, gained altitude. So that did result in multiple deaths, and of course that was all over the uh, news media and all the networks if uh, you were looking at that around the 16th of August. Okay, now let's go on to the next thing that a lot of you would undoubtedly remember, the biggest tragedy. Some people call it the massacre in Kabul. On August the 26th, we had the suicide bomber detonating his device just outside the airport in the middle of a big crowd of Afghan civilians who were waiting to be evacuated and of course there were American military forces in that area to assist with the processing and sorting and things like that. Okay, um, so more than 170 Afghans were killed in that incident and of course we all know 13 U.S. military personnel. Well, again, we look at the planning because immediately they had three of the cargo planes that were set to bring supplies in and take refugees out, converted to medical evacuation missions, and flew 35 of the seriously wounded service members out of there and got them to Ramstein and also to the airfield in Qatar. Uh, and notice it also says civilians. So there were a lot of the Afghan civilians that were seriously wounded in that bombing, and they were evacuated as well. Okay, now of course we'll go to this sad slide. It shows the uh, 13 U.S. servicemen that lost their lives at that point. And you see from here, uh, two were female military, uh, both in the Marines. The majority were United States Marine Corps soldiers. You had a couple Army. And the uh, Navy sailor right in the center is Maxim Slovak from uh, here from Ohio. And he was with the Marines. Uh, people who have uh, been around the Marine Corps know that their medical personnel actually come from the Navy. So at this moment, and as you look at that, maybe uh, you can make out some of the names, you see some of the faces. Just want you to, or um, of course we've got the sailor from Ohio right in the middle. But you know, pick one of those that you clearly identify, or all 13, and, and let's have a moment of silence for those brave American servicemen.
Thank you. So, you know, it was hard on a lot of veterans to recognize that you had these 13 lose their lives so soon before the entire thing would be over. Um, Madeline Tag isn't with us today, but she's told me about her father uh, telling her about uh, the final day of World War I, and uh, people, they knew the war was gonna end at 11 o'clock that morning, and you know, there were some soldiers on both sides that were killed that morning. And you know the heartbreak it is for the other military uh, folks that do that. Okay, so now I want to go forward four more days to our next slide, and we'll talk about the final day. Some of you may have remembered this picture. Uh, August 30 was the final evacuation. Okay, under the cover of darkness, we had uh, aircraft fly in to get the last Americans out. All the Afghan civilians that we were taken out by that point were gone. And so this was to get the last of the military to depart by the deadline that had been established. And the picture is the commanding general elected to be the last one out. Uh, a lot of commanders feel that way. Um, you know, they're not going to jump on the plane and be safe while they've still got soldiers out there on the ground. So he uh, had his soldiers get on the aircraft before he climbed on. And you can see this is taken with night vision uh, camera. Uh, but at this time, not only do you have the five aircraft on the ground picking people up, but there were over 20 aircraft overhead orbiting fighters. Uh, refuel planes, uh, intelligence planes that had you know reconnaissance abilities, and also you had two other transports that were flying around as spares in case there was a mechanical problem with one of those five. And so the departure did happen uh, prior to the time that the uh, United States was committed to leaving. Okay, so let's go to our next slide and. Just want to talk a little bit about the chaplain support. Because as uh, you know, members of the church, we're always wondering about uh, you know, how do you work the spiritual needs of the people that are involved and also the civilians that are being evacuated. So you had, especially the Air Force chaplains, had the need to uh, serve the airmen and the families during a very challenging period. And that includes airmen back here, or families back here in the United States that all of a sudden, their dad had to leave for uh, the Middle East, or their mom didn't come home for dinner because she was um, rapidly mobilized and sent over there. Well, what one of the senior chaplains said was, we chose to support the airmen bringing refugees to safety, care for them, and accommodate religious and cultural sensitivities. We did it and continue to do it, and I am very proud not only of our religious support team, but of all our airmen and their families, okay? And then the next slide, we'll have uh, in writing, it may be too small, but this is talking about what these religious support teams did. A chaplain has an assistant that you know, helps him out with the counseling and carrying his things and like that. And they were just as attuned to the needs of the refugees. We even had some Muslim chaplains that the uh, Air Force has that were involved as they were to the needs of the U.S. military people. He said, if life as a refugee can be hard, and we heard some concerns about the youth in evacuee locations, so we were able to advise our installations to focus on youth programs to keep the children occupied. So whether it was sports, crafts, education, or language school skills, 
There are a lot of American airmen who are ready to go out and help them keep distracted from all of the issues that were going on around them. Okay, now a moment ago I mentioned the Berlin Airlift, which a lot of us remember. If we didn't live through it, I didn't, but we read about it in the history book. So let's go to the next slide. I want to briefly go over what happened with that. So the Berlin blockade lasted from June of 1948 to May of 1949. That was almost a year long. And it was a major crisis of the Cold War where the Soviet Union blocked off Berlin, which was actually in their area, but Berlin had been the capital of Nazi Germany, and it was split into four parts, a Russian part, French, British, and American part. Okay, and the Russians wanted us out of there, and so they blocked all of the railroad, the roads, and the canals that went into Berlin from the Allies to be able to take supplies to their troops. So the decision was made to do it by air, and the Berlin airlift lasted from June until September, June 1948 to September 1949, and they carried over um, 3,000. Excuse me, the peak delivery was uh, 12,941 tons. Okay, now let's go to the next slide. Initially, the Air Force said, "Oh, there's no way that can work." But their planning proved that they could, and eventually the Soviet Union lifted the blockade because their intended plan did not work. Uh, so the uh, supplies were flown. The Berlin airlift officially ended on the 30th of September, 1949, 15 months. The United States Air Force had delivered 1,783,000 tons. That was 76% of the total. And the British transports had delivered the other 24% of the total. And nearly two-thirds of what they took in was coal to uh, allow the people of Berlin to heat their homes and the factories and other places. Okay. 278,000 flights uh, into Berlin during that period. Okay, we'll go on to the next slide. All right, so you have these uh, American planes together flying over 92 million, uh, 9,200 million miles away, okay? And that is almost the distance from the Earth to the Sun. And at the height of the airlift, you had a plane reaching West Berlin every 30 seconds. Now, in that, we had uh, some casualties, just like we did in the operation in Afghanistan. Well, let's move on to the next slide. And this shows at the top the uh, American aircraft at Tempelhof Airport, and at the bottom uh, a crash of one of the airplanes in. 17 American and 8 British aircraft had crashed during the operation uh, for a total of 101 fatalities, which included 40 Brits and 31 Americans. Okay, so because you didn't have a suicide bombing in a crowded area that took out over 170 civilians, there were fewer casualties in the Berlin airlift, but it clearly was not a lack of planning. And the Berlin airlift served to highlight the differences between the United States and the Soviet Union and played a great part in West Germany aligning with the United States and later joining NATO in 1955. Okay, so 
I think it's most appropriate as Christians we want to end this with uh, how maybe we should remember this. Okay, so go to our last slide, and it's another scripture, uh, Matthew seven twelve, and we all know this is a golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And as I uh, said when I started, I think what has happened, if we put it through Christian filters, it doesn't matter what a political belief is, but it was clearly the right thing that we did. People can do what they call Monday morning quarterback and criticize different parts of the operation, but nothing on this scale and nothing like this had ever been done in the United States or any military history. So the fact that our country was able to pull it off and our country is founded on the Christian values, we as a nation can be very proud of what we did and understand that if there was a Christian answer to this situation, that is the answer that our country chose. So thank you for uh, letting me share those with you, and we'll uh, go on now and end our uh, service. Uh, what I would like to end with, out of our hymnal, page 710, called Faith of Our Fathers. And it's, it's a favorite and uh, very appropriate uh, into uh, what we've talked about this morning. And uh, to end the uh, service, once again, I'd like everybody to please stand.
just did was an amazing presentation. And I want to thank you personally for doing that. It was just amazing. Thank you so much. And now, may the grace of our Heavenly Father be with you all from now until we meet again. Amen.